I'm Nim, and you're listening to A Spoonful of Medicine, topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. On today's episode, we're talking all about nephritic syndrome. Now, you may have heard last week's episode on nephrotic syndrome, and the two topics are often taught about in tandem. They affect kids, and they also affect the kidneys. But nephritic syndrome has some key differences to nephrotic syndrome. You have that blood in your urine, high blood pressure, fluid retention, and a whole lot of problems. Oftentimes, nephritic syndrome is a question and a topic that is covered on exams as well. So let's take some time in checking out nephritic syndrome in children. Let's go. It's a busy evening in the pediatric department and you're helping with admissions. You're called down to go to the ED to see Fiona, who has been brought in by her mother with concerns about her urine being turned red. Her mum tells you that she hasn't experienced any major illnesses or injuries in her life and is quite an active child. She hasn't started any medications recently and she's not allergic to anything that they know of. Fiona herself hasn't had any symptoms of dysuria, frequency or abdominal pain and also there's no history of trauma to her abdomen or to her back. Her mum, dad and 14-year-old brother are all well and there's no family history of renal troubles. On specific questioning, Fiona's mum tells you that two weeks ago, come to think of it, she did have a few days of a fever and complained of a sore throat, but it seemed to improve spontaneously and she went straight back to school. On your examination, you find that Fiona is afebrile with a blood pressure of 135 or 90. She's pretty active and quite chatty actually in the ED. You do also notice that she's got some periorbital edema. A urine dipstick done in the ED contains 2 plus blood and 2 plus protein. You send it off for an MCNS and there's more than 500 red cells but less than 10 white cells and less than 10 epithelials. You collect a throat swab, send off some bloods including renal function, asotitis and anti-DNAs B, complement levels, as well as in ESR and ANA levels. Abdominal ultrasound and x-ray that have been done by ED already are normal. These bloods, however, show that she has a raised ASOT titer and her renal function is reduced. Her C3 levels are back and they're low, but that throat swab is negative. This whole picture and presentation is looking very suspicious for a glomerular nephritis specifically post-strep GN. You admit Fiona to the ward, start of fluid and salt restriction, diuretics are also commenced in the form of frizamide and antihypertensives are commenced by the renal team. Over the next week, Fiona gets a lot better and she's soon discharged to be followed up in the outpatient department. Well done! Outpatient Fiona has come in with acute post-strep glomerulonephritis, or also known as acute post-strep GN. Now, acute post-strep GN is the most common cause of a glomerular disorder in children between the ages of 5 and 15 years old. Below 2 years, it's rare, and it's also uncommon in adults. The way an episode of acute post-strep GN comes about is actually quite interesting. It's caused by group A streptococci, also known as beta-hemolytic streptococci. 
a third name is Streptococcus pyogenes. Now, they're all the same bacteria. Nonetheless, not all strains of beta hemolytic strep cause acute post-strep GN. It is certain group A strep strains that are nephrotogenic that are most likely to be of a problem. So what makes them so risky to your kidneys? These strains have an M protein and this M protein is what is bad news. This M protein leads to the creation of immune complexes or a type 3 hypersensitivity reaction. These immune complexes deposit in the glomerulus and are subepithelial. This initiates an inflammatory cascade at the glomerulus. There's C3 deposition, cytokines come along and so do proteases. And ultimately, there's a lot of damage of protocytes. This damage at the glomerular level leads to hematuria as well as proteinuria. It can be so bad in some cases that children can get oligouria. Now, if you can't get rid of fluid via your kidneys, that fluid is retained and so is sodium. And that leads to intravascular fluid overload and hypertension. Remember Fiona's high blood pressure? This hypertension is actually due to a fluid overload and sodium retention, and it is intravascular. This contrasts to where the fluid sits in nephrotic syndrome, which is third space fluid. And the reason for that is because we lose protein. The bug that causes acute post-strep GN may sound familiar because it is the same bacteria that causes rheumatic fever. Now, while antibiotic use during the initial group A strep infection may reduce the subsequent rheumatic fever risk, it has yet not been shown to prevent acute post-strep GN. And the nephritis risk after an infection with a nephridogenic strain of group A strep remains about 10 to 15%. And that initial infection may be in the form of strep throat or a really sore throat with fevers potentially even something suspicious for scarlet fever. Or it may be a skin infection, such as school sores or impetigo. Now that is a lot of information. So let's take a step back and correlate it clinically. Post-strep GN classically affects children between the ages of 5 and 15 years of age. It usually presents about six weeks after a group A strep infection or one to two weeks after a group A strep throat infection. Now, almost all patients have some degree of hematuria, but only 30 to 50% develop gross hematuria or blood in the urine that you can see with your own eyes. All that fluid retention because of glomerular damage leads to hypertension and that is seen in about 80 to 90% of cases and the severity may not necessarily correlate to the degree of fluid overload. Also, some children can be so hypertensive that they develop encephalopathy and this can be the presenting feature in up to 10% of cases. That fluid overload also leads to edema and rather than that generalized gross edema that we see in nephrotic syndrome, here the textbook tells us that it's a classic periorbital edema. 
Another really important complication of volume overload to know about is congestive cardiac failure and pulmonary edema. And that can be a presenting feature in some severely affected children. So it is children between the ages of 5 and 15 coming in after one to two weeks of a throat infection or six weeks after a skin infection with hematuria, oligouria, periorbital edema and hypertension that you should be suspecting acute post-strep GN. So now that you can recognize post-strep GN, what investigations do you order in order to prove it? Now, although post-strep GN is following a group A strep infection and most commonly one of the throat, throat swabs themselves are rarely positive because remember this acute strep GN occurs one to two weeks after an infection. So that infection in the throat would have cleared by then. A bedside urine would show some white cells and red cell casts and those red cell casts are suggestive of a glomerular-based process. Proteinuria can be seen, but usually it's no more than 2+. Or in other words, they rarely have nephrotic range proteinuria. Urine sodium excretion is low, and that is really important to remember because in a key differential of acute tubular necrosis, you will have high urine sodium excretion. Renal function testing often shows renal injury in the form of raised creatinine and reduced GFR. Documentation of a recent streptococcal infection is helpful and serum markers that you can use include ASO or asotitis as well as anti-DNAs B antibodies. However, it is really important to know that ASOT antibodies are found in 80% of children with group A strep pharyngitis, but they're less likely to be positive if a child had a recent skin infection. It's also really important to remember that asotitis are often positive in about 15% of normal children. So just because they're slightly positive doesn't always mean that this presentation is because of a group A streptococcal infection. Ultimately, you need to marry the clinical picture with your lab results. Finally, we have potentially the most important laboratory test in patients with acute post-strep GN. And that is measurement of serum C3 and C4 levels. C3 is low in 90% of acute strep GN cases, whereas C4 levels should be normal. This is because the alternative pathway of complement is activated in the damage at the glomerular level. And that consumes C3 and hence C3 levels are low. Now it's time to have a look at some differentials. While gross hematuria and hypertension make you think post-strep GN, but really having blood in your urine can be caused by a great many things. And so the differentials for acute post-strep GN are vast. Some that you should think about include a simple UTI. The child may have renal calculi or stones in their urinary tract and that's causing them to have gross hematuria. IgA nephropathy, Alport's disease, as well as lupus nephritis can all present 
with blood in the urine. So it's important to keep an open mind. Now that we know what acute post-trap GN is, what causes it and how it presents and how we diagnose it, let's check out how we manage it and what is the prognosis for kids with acute post-trap GN. The management of acute post-trap GN is fluid and salt restriction, diuretics, antihypertensives, and monitoring. In the terms of fluid and salt restriction, salt and water restriction is done in order to prevent fluid overload. We also monitor the weight and serum sodium daily and then less frequently as the child improves. Diuretics in the form of most commonly frusamide are used in order to help get rid of sodium as well as fluid that is accumulated due to glomerular damage and subsequent fluid overload. Antihypertensives can also be initiated under the guidance of your local renal team and these are started in order to manage the hypertension that these children may have. It's also really important to monitor how these children go over time. Now usually the hypertension, edema, hematuria and renal dysfunction are the worst in the first 7 to 10 days and after that's done they should slowly improve. Their C3 levels should also similarly get better over time, and really by six to eight weeks, they should be back to normal. The acute phase of a post-strep GN episode lasts about a month, and then there is slow improvement over that time. Proteinuria and microscopic hematuria may persist for many months, but normal renal function is retained or regained rather by 95% of patients. Renal failure that causes fluid overload with heart failure and severe hypertension can be seen in 1-2% of patients and these guys may even need dialysis. Only a small proportion of children, 3-5%, develop chronic renal disease. A really important thing to know, both clinically and for exams, is to check C3 levels. And I'll say it again, check C3 levels. C3 levels should return to normal within six to eight weeks in most cases. If the C3 levels do not return to normal, or in other words, they are persistently low, this is not fitting with typical episode of acute post-trep GN, and you need to be thinking of other glomerular nephritides, such as membranoproliferative glomerular nephritis. So to summarize, the acute phase is about a month long, with the first 7 to 10 days being the worst. Most kids do get better, and by six to eight weeks, you should have C3 levels that are back to normal. And if they're not, you need to refer to the renal team. The gross hematuria can last about two weeks. The hypertension, four to six. That low C3 level, six to eight weeks. Persistent proteinuria can last up to six months. You can then have intermittent proteinuria for up to about a year and microscopic hematuria can be seen up to two years. Finally, what are some red flags that should make you think, mm, this doesn't sound quite right, 
and referral to the renal team for a potential renal biopsy is indicated. Situations that are indications for renal biopsy include a persistently low C3 level beyond eight weeks, persistent heavy or nephrotic range proteinuria for up to six months, if the child has an atypical presentation such as nephrotic syndrome or failure of renal function to improve after that acute phase. Also, if a child has an atypical cause such as the renal function really doesn't get back to normal, there is continuing complement depression and also heavy proteinuria and ongoing grossomaturia, you need to think about referring to the nephrology team. And with that, it's time for a recap. Acute post-strep GN is the most common cause of a glomerular disorder in children between the ages of 5 and 15. It's due to the aftermath of a group A strep infection, mainly strains with the M protein or nephritogenic strains. It is a type 3 hypersensitivity reaction with immune complex deposition within the glomerular membranes that causes inflammation as well as damage of the glomerulus. Children typically present either six weeks after a skin infection or two weeks after a throat infection. They have hematuria, oligouria, periorbital edema, and hypertension. Bloods will show renal damage as well as a positive ASOT or proof of a past strep infection, and very importantly, low C3 levels. Management includes fluid and salt restriction, diuretics, antihypertensives, and close follow-up and monitoring. Typically, the acute phase lasts about one month, with the worst being the first week. Renal failure is rare. Most children get better and have renal function that returns to normal. It is imperative that you follow up C3 levels. Because if C3 levels are still low after eight weeks, we're thinking there's something else going on. And referral to a renal team is indicated. And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.